everybody. Go ahead and grab a drink and grab a seat. There's pizza. There's plenty of pizza. We're so glad that you're here. Welcome to Theology on Tap. If this is your first time, just a little word on what this looks like. We are starting a little behind tonight. We're normally about 7.30. We'll begin a conversation. Normally, I've got my good friend Brian Negrevi. Tonight, we're very blessed to have my good friend Ian Murphy with us tonight. So um, we've become good friends in a short amount of time, I should say. But um, So I will talk a little bit about Ian because I'm excited for you to hear his story and to hear from him. Uh, but what you'll see around the room are these little QR codes kind of lying around. You'll need those because at any point in the night, you'll, that top QR code, you can scan that and submit any question whatsoever related to anything we talk about or nothing uh, related <laughs> to what we talk about, which is great. We're happy to see that. And then you'll see questions on there. Go ahead and like the ones that, that you see, and those will go up to the top. And we'll have Mary Hollis, I think, moderating tonight. So we're excited for that. You can keep up with all the things going on with Theology on Tap by joining our email list down here at the bottom. And uh, that is the biggest thing that you need to know on how tonight's going to work. So uh, just a logistical thing. I know we're so thankful for the folks at Henry's. Clark is the man that's always been helping us out in here in the whiskey room. They, I think, have a lot going on. And so if you don't see Clark back there, He's at the other bar, which is if you just go straight out and out the back, um, don't go down the steps, but go out the back. There's a whole another bar down uh, across the patio. He'll probably be back there. And so if you're thirsty, if you want another drink, that's where he's going to be. Uh, and feel free to, to just scoot over there and grab one of those. But thank you, Clark. Thank you, Henry's, for having us as always. We're You're the man. Thank you, Clark. Um, so... Excited to have Ian here with us tonight, and uh, keep Brian in your prayers. Brian has uh, had some surgery on his eye, and he's, it's going well, but uh, we are blessed to have Dr. Ian Murphy, I think, right? Yes, Dr. Ian Murphy with us. And uh, one of the things, you know, that we've talked about in the past at Theology on Tap is sharing, sharing faith with people that we love, sharing faith with friends and family and the challenges that can come with that. Ian has a very unique story that I'm gonna give him just some time just to share it in a little bit. Uh, but his book that uh, he so kindly gave to me, he's got one in print already and another coming up, but the one in print now is called Dying to Live, From Agnostic to Baptist to Catholic. And so that alone is, I could just tee you up and just go on that, and that would be fascinating. But what we would love to do is kind of hear in your story uh, not just your story, but ways that, and, and we'll talk a little bit about how things that maybe were helpful as you grew in, in your journey of faith, things that maybe you could say, hey, avoid this. This was unhelpful in my journey, and, and we can piggyback off of that. But um, we are blessed to have Ian's wife on staff at St. Philip's Church, which is where I'm on staff at. And so we love them. They are both in, in the Roman Catholic Church. We are St. Philip's Church, an Anglican church. So I'm actually not the Catholic tonight. We have, uh, well, in, in the larger Catholic church, yes, but the Roman Catholic church is Ian. So that's what they mean by agnostic to Baptist to Catholic. And so, Ian, would you um, just share briefly kind of your story 
this incredible journey of faith uh, briefly for us. I would love to. Thank you, Father. And uh, I, I'm part of the Brian McGreevy fan club. <laughs> yes. I, uh, I don't feel like I could ever fill in for him, but I am, I am delighted to be here as a guest. And thank you all so much for just keep being here. And let me tell you a little bit about my story and, and how I came to faith. Um, agnostic to Baptist to Catholic really does sum it up. I, my agnostic crisis, I was uh, a particular type of agnostic called a probabilistic atheist. It's a fancy way to say I, I thought God probably didn't exist. And it, it wasn't a, an indifferent sort of agnosticism. It was very seeking, very active, and very stressful because I knew everything hinged on the God question. I, if there's a God, then well, it's up to him who I am, and life's not an accident, and I give an account for how I live it. But what if, what if I'm just an accident? Yeah. Now, I, I was looking at Darwin in the second grade, eight years old, and freaked out already about the God question. I did grow up in a Christian home, uh, but not with church. My parents were Christians, but we didn't go to church, so how's that work? My parents were hippies. You're like, down with the establishment, man. You know, me and Jesus, we'll have church in the woods. We don't need that organized, institutionalized. So I, I grew up with that, and so no church. Part of that I'm grateful for because a lot of church I saw on TV looked a little phony, and I was glad I was a part of the nonsense. Uh, I couldn't imagine that being authentic. Could you please pass the Cheerios? Like I just, I couldn't imagine the televangelist sounding like that at his breakfast table. It just struck me so fake. Um, so I was, I was glad I wasn't part, but at the same time, there was so much I didn't know. I didn't even know what a Bible was. I was four years old when I found out the Bible wasn't the Quaker Oat Man. It was a book. Not that the Quaker Oat guy wrote it. I didn't know it was a book. I thought that the guy featured on the canister of Quaker Oatmeal was mysteriously at one with the oats therein, the Bible. No idea what successful ad strategy planted that wholesome connection into this little boy brain, but there it was. <laughs> We're at the grocery store, I'm, I'm like running around helping mom feverishly picking items off the lower shelves, throwing them in the back. I said, mom, let's get some Bibles. Yeah, that's an interesting interest. We, we have plenty at home. No, I ate them all up. That's deep, man. <laughs> <laughs> Digesting the word. But seriously, we have Bibles that always said, no, seriously, they're gone. It's like, why don't you, we're at the grocery store. Why don't you show me what you mean by this? And I showed her, and she's like, son, that's cereal. <laughs> so it was this big moment for me. She looked troubled. <laughs> like, like uh, poor parenting must somehow rest at the core of this colossal misunderstanding. But when she, she told me that the Bible's a book, I experienced, maybe because of that association, a hunger. to. I knew I needed to read that book. And I started like just matching pictures to words I recognize in a children's Bible. But as I got older, I started the children's Bible over and the 10 volume set of the children's Bible, I had nearly finished at eight years old, but I was also reading Darwin's Origin of Species and uh, freaked out. The fact that Darwin believed in God was no comfort to me. If his theory could explain that we're just accidents, I, I mean, the biggest thing for me was when I die, is it lights out. Mm -hmm. And I won't ever remember even having been here. I, I, that, I, I had to figure out what I believed about that for me to even, and by the time I was 14 years old, it was just 
I was having anxiety attacks about the whole God question. As I just needed to know, is it lights out? What's the point? What's the point of my relationships, my learning, my experiences, if it's just over? And I, I cried out this desperate prayer. I don't recommend it, but I said, God, if you're real, I need to touch the spiritual realm for myself in order to have faith. You did it for Thomas. Do you love me any less? Don't put God to the test, but I mean, it was sincere. I can, give, I, I can say that much for the prayer. Say, so, you know, I need to touch the spiritual realm for myself to believe. And you're probably not real. I think you're probably not there at all, and I'm just talking to myself. Amen. Well, you know how they say, be careful what you pray for? <laughs> you might just get it. He answered that prayer in some dramatic fashion. I was allowed tangible contact with the spiritual realm in an episode of spiritual warfare where this uh, fallen angel, a demon, had, was allowed to come to me. It could speak telepathically, crystal clear communication. It, inten it said it ten intended to kill me, cause me pain, and then it physically was able to grip me and started to suffocate me to death. Aren't you glad you came out tonight? Sweet dreams. <laughs> no, as, as I learned, don't be afraid of that thing. As I came to be, be fearfully reverent of the one it answered to. Because as this thing was happening to me, I mean, I, had, I could see the visible compression on my own body as I was being strangled. My legs were forcibly locked together. I could see the invisible pushing down on my chest. It like a boa constrictor was squeezing the air out of me and like, well, I had my proof, you know, I'm looking down at me and, and I'm asking like, how come I can't see you? Anyway, you do not engage these things in conversations. Like, take it from Eve, don't talk to snakes. It's just, <laughs> it doesn't go well. But it, it answered me, it said, I'm real. I'm, I'm, I am able to travel invisible to your human eye, but oh, I'm here and I'm going to kill you. No air left in my lungs, actually suffocating. I said, okay, I, if, if this thing's real, then God's real. I command you, go away in the name of Jesus. And at that name, this thing was gone. And the last thing I picked up from its communication was stark terror at the name I had just called upon. I, I jump out of bed, I race down the hallway, I wake my parents up, I go, this craziness just happened to me. Mom says, I always knew something like this was going to happen to you. Like, really? Like, let me get this right, Mom. So, you knew somehow that one day dark, invisible, demonic assassins were going to come to your son in the night and try to kill him? That information goes on a list I call stuff to tell me about. Yeah, yeah she said, uh, like you would have believed me. And my little doubting Thomas... You needed to see this for yourself. Are you ready to give your heart to Jesus? I'm like, well, how did, how did you know? She said, well, I don't get it, but when I was pregnant with you, the same thing happened to me. And I got rid of them exactly the same way you did. I said, yeah, I'm ready to give them my heart. <laughs> you know, and I can't even describe what that's like to have that God-shaped hole in all of us that nothing else can satisfy, nothing else can fill get touched at that personal level. You know, I, I, can't, I, I can't even describe it. If you haven't had that experience, it, it is the best thing you could ever do. I, I, he had already saved my life, but now he saved my soul. I knew my sins were forgiven. I knew I was loved unconditionally. I immediately had assurance 
that I didn't have to ever be scared of death again because of the gift he gave me. And that assurance has just, it just changed everything. It uh, kind of launched a ministry to Doubting Thomases. I got lost in apologetics. Um, I uh, found so much evidence that I didn't ever need to get attacked by a demon to come to faith. Like there's enough out there, just the, wit the eyewitness of, of the martyrs who were there for the events surrounding Jesus and suffered under Nero's persecutions. I mean, I could doubt the resurrection, but I couldn't doubt that Paul was convinced. He knew it happened and he gave his life so that I could hear the good news. Like these guys suffered and died for not just ideas they were convinced of, but for an event they watched. I mean, they were eyewitnesses. They were the ones there. There was plenty, and I was just telling people my story, how I knew. I was telling them the testimony of the apostles who died so that we could hear this good news. I, to be loved like that. These people went to prison and died. To be loved like that by the church. I just, I, I just couldn't. I, th this ministry just follows me through high school, just talking to friends, giving talks in classrooms to any teacher who would let me. But then I, I was named valedictorian when I graduated. Um, that happens to kids who are reading The Origin of Species. Yeah, in second grade, probably. But I, they asked me, like, what do you want to give your commencement address about? I said, I want to tell them about Jesus. I said, well, you, you're not allowed. This is a public school. I said, well, I am allowed. This is a free country. See, we have this thing called the U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights. It kind of protects my liberties to say what I believe, and the audience is free to disagree with me, and those liberties make this country great. I was responded to, yeah, thanks for the history lesson. If you say the name of Jesus at commencement, we'll pull the plug on the microphone ourselves. We will silence that name. That really struck me. Like, if I wanted to go up and give some relativism speech, nobody would have given it any resistance. I would have been cheered up. But that name, oh, there's something about it, isn't there? So I, I called the local papers. I said, will you print my speech? Because they won't let me give it a graduation. They said, they what? They won't let me, so I just thought you might be able to print it. I'll go up to the podium and be like, if you want to hear what I have to say, it's printed in the local journal. Sit back down. They said, we got to send this one up the food chain, kid. They, I, this guy gets on the phone. All right, kid, what's your story? I wondered if the newspaper might print my speech uh, because my school won't let me say Jesus again. They what? This is the free country. So I know I tried to explain it to him. He, he like muffles the phone and I hear him yell, we've got a hot one. Where do you live, kid? And again, they make it record time. I don't know how they found this in the dairy farmlands of Pennsylvania. They interview me. I'm on the cover of the tri-state paper the next morning. Commencement speech about religion rejected, free speech denied. I became the free speech kid. The story broke national. I, it's just like it looks like it in paparazzi, TV cameras, as I soon flashing bulbs, mics in my face. I found out quickly, not even the men's room in the high school gym was a safe hideout for me. Uh, we left from Pennsylvania to Michigan just to leave the media circus, but Channel 4 dispatched a helicopter news crew to follow us from Pennsylvania to Michigan to get the next story. Um, it uh, got the attention of Senator Arlen Specter. Uh, became an official law ratified by the president that summer, uh, officially protecting uh, graduating seniors from these attempts at unconstitutional censorship. That law is still on the books and helping people as recently as just last May. I was on a talk show that helped this valedictorian. They referred to Specter's law. So uh, 
I suppose I gave new meaning to Murphy's Law. There you go. <laughs> but um, yeah, that momentum follows me into college. I end up uh, an ordained minister. Um, I had a really bad backslidden time when uh, a mentor of mine was murdered. And uh, that book tells the story. Um, but uh, in short, just, uh, you know, back during the media blitz, I, I was getting like fan mail. People were sending, a lot of it contained cash. Wow. So I was sure to open every piece of yeah. fan mail. I get these Santa Claus sized <laughs> sacks of fan mail from around the country uh, addressed to the school. I, I, I was on radio, I was on TV every day. I was surrounded by the, the media blitz for months and, uh, and girls liked me. <laughs> like high quality babes. You know, it was like, I'm like cash, fame, babe, serving Jesus is tight. You know, and, and then like when my mentor was murdered, I'm like, oh, wait, the cross. Mm -hmm. And uh, just fast forward after a few backslidden years trying to run from my vocation and hide from God, I realized finally he wasn't waiting with the club thumping it in his hand. He was waiting with a hug. And when I gave him my heart back, I, I felt a father's love. I, I felt like he ran off the porch caught the prodigal son, squeezed me and said, don't you do that to me. Mm. Oh, I got you back, my baby. Oh my God, don't you do that to me. Like, that's what it felt like. And that moment was like another ongoing conversion because I didn't just love what his hands could give me. I, I, I loved his face. I loved him. Mm. And I realized I missed him and we loved each other. <laughs> and that uh, followed me into my ministry. The thing is, by the time I had my own Baptist church, I was convinced that the Catholic Church had a fullness that was missing from the Baptists, and uh, so that that got pretty crazy to become Catholic in the middle of being a full-time Baptist preacher. But uh, yeah, there's the short and sweet of my well, story. Yeah, you should <laughs> say a, a little bit. I mean, there's so much that we could explore, but I think that's uh, first how you like you're famous. One, that's incredible uh, from that particular incident where you really didn't set out to become that way, but um, how you go from having all this media to then in a pulpit seems like a, a I can see kind of how it happened, but I'm curious, like help us trace the steps from, you know, front page headlines to in a pulpit in a Baptist church. Yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent question. Um, it, it's like it put my ministry career on the fast track. Um, I, I see Specter's law as, my somersault, let me explain. I, this youth minister once said to me, want to see what my ministry is. I said, I'd love to. He does this jump into the air, this 360 degree somersault midair from, from a sidewalk and lands perfectly straight on his feet. I said, man, do that again. He said, I'll gladly do it again if you listen to my story. I said, now I see what your ministry is. He would just go out into the streets of the city, do a somersault, in Times Square, he'd get a throng of people, whoa, that was amazing, man, do that again. He'd say, I'll gladly do it again if you'll hear my story. And he'd say how Jesus met him and saved him, and then he'd keep his promise and do him another somersault. That whole Murphy's Law craziness, media blitz, I, I feel like that's my somersault. People wanted to hear the story because it's rare, it's unique. I get it. I, I like rare, unique stories. But if that's what it takes to get me in the door so I can tell them about Jesus, thank you, Senator Arlen Specter, for my somersault. 
And so, like, any chance I could get, I'd talk to a youth group. I, I was getting still radio invites to hear the story. And it was just opening up all these doors. Any church I offered, hey, do you want to hear my story? Oh, we'd love to. We followed it on the news the whole time. Great. Um, I was interim pastoring at 25. I was licensed and ordained in my 20s. I, I was still in my 20s and was named head pastor of my own Baptist church in, in the heart of the Bible Belt. Um, but it, it was all the open doors from just from Christian radio stations mm -hmm. to youth camps to churches who I would just say want to hear what happened to me and they always said yes. Yeah. That's, well, so I'm curious, as you're pastoring at 25, you have this incredible supernatural experience that led to you going from agnostic to being a Christian. How did you help shepherd people in the church who I, most people don't have some sort of like supernatural serious experience like you had uh, as they're coming to faith. How did you help people uh, along the, the path of faith who didn't have you know a, a pretty intense story like your own? Oh, another excellent question. Uh, the connection, the relational connection. It's the same way God met me. I, because I was atheistic myself, I already knew where they were coming from. Like my heart broke, I got those questions. I had those questions. I had all those same doubts. Like whoever I was talking to, to me, was just another image and likeness of God who could show me something about God, no matter what they believe currently. Doesn't change what I'm convinced of is that they were crafted in God's image so they can show me something about God. Therefore, I have something to learn from them, whoever they are. And I would receive from them I'd find God's image in them. It's always in someone somewhere. You can always find it because it's there. And I'd learn from them. And I'd let them know how I saw God in them. I'd tell them my story. I'd, I'd share their doubts and fears and see where they're at and meet them where they're at. And just that whole, like I'd, I'd keep it away from an argument and just keep it about a friendship because I was there too. You know, I was there for years and I, I know how freaky it can be to not have assurance, to not know if it's lights out. I know firsthand what that feels like. And I would, from that approach, people love talking about these things. Yeah. You know, they, you know, for some people, Christianity is an argument. Uh, for other people, it's a performance. But for other people, it's, it's an experience. And if I kept it at that experiential, like, this, is, this is a relationship. Uh, as, as James says, even the demons know it's true and they quake sure. or tremble yeah. and shudder. Like this, this isn't a head trip. I mean, this is, this is a relationship. And so if you just tell your story and listen to their story and see where God's at in it, like there's, that's what discipleship looks like. It's how Jesus did it. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. that's great. That's really cool. Um, how, well, wow, okay. So I, I, you gotta help us connect the dots. As a Baptist preacher, you're uh, ministering in your 20s uh, I, I can't imagine being in your shoes trying to do that. And what was it that made you even begin to consider, you said, a fullness of the Catholic Church? Uh, what led to even thinking about that? What, what was that fullness in your mind? I mean, uh, that's a pretty significant next step, too. Yeah, and, and I, I grew up with a vehemently anti-Catholic dad. Like I, he, ta he told me that the, the Catholic Church was the whore of Babylon. Wow. Um, like I literally grew up hearing the church called a whore. Yeah. And uh, 
he had this other name, he called Catholics those cookie eaters, which he obviously meant in a derogatory sense, but that didn't really pack the punch. I thought he was looking, I just like, I, can't, I just envisioned little kids with chocolate on their chubby cheeks and like, or, we love cookies. It just didn't, didn't sound as insulting as I think he meant it. But I could tell he hated the church and I, I inherited that hatred in my formation. Just, and I started to see my, my um, uncle, Tim, his, my dad's youngest brother, converted into Catholicism um, when I was 18, right in the middle of the hole. And it was his wedding we were going to to hide out from the media. He was in Michigan, that whole helicopter chase affair. Well, when we finally landed in Michigan for Uncle Tim's wedding, he said, man, it looks like God's doing some amazing things in your life right now. Watched you on TV all day. I'd like this little book to be a part of that journey. And he hands me a Rome Sweet Home by Kimberly and Scott Hahn, who were converts from Presbyterian ministers into Catholicism. I said, I'm going to tear this to shred. These are Catholics. He said, read it. I'd love to hear what you think. Hmm. Who was the one acting like Jesus? Yeah. It wasn't me. And so just through that book and through my uncle's witness, I started to do my homework, read the Church Fathers, and I started, I, I saw quickly everything I'd ever been taught about, Christ, about the Catholic Church from my dad was wrong. They don't worship Mary. Coloridianism, Mary worship, that was stamped out in the fourth century. Like, they, they don't worship statues. They don't believe your works save you. Like Everything I heard was just not true. And then I was introduced in my reading to sacrament. And that's just not something we had as Baptists. Mm -hmm. These special ways that like, we had the ordinances of the Lord's Supper and baptism, but uh, the, these were just representational, right? God wasn't really present in them. And I'm like, well, that's just not what I'm reading in Scripture. In Scripture, I see where two or more are gathered. He's really present. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's not a representation. Prayer isn't representing a conversation. It is one. And it might be mysterious how that presence works, but it's real, it, you know? And, and so I was like, there sounds like there's more to this. And as I looked into sacrament, I was drawn into higher church sacramental Christianity. And um, there's one of the chapters yeah. in my book is called How to Give Catholic Homilies as a Baptist Preacher. Oh, is there? Awesome. So it was like living a double life for a while. Because <laughs> if I made it official, I'd lose my parsonage, I'd lose yeah. my income. I, they were. I was making a lot of money in that church, and so serving Jesus was tight again. But uh, eventually, I, my conscience caught up to me, and I had to tell them, and all hell broke loose. But uh, but it, it was uh, there's a lot to that journey. But the short version is, it was falling in love with sacrament. Yeah, and through the the love and concern that your uncle and that formative time too was patient with you and and, and bringing that, and that's what. You know, I, I can't relate really in any way to the first part of your story, but I can. In That's some good. Ways. Yes, uh, I think so. Uh, you know, I'm always open to what the Lord's going to do, but uh, <laughs> I think that the second part, where particularly that second move, I married somebody who was uh, intentionally kept out of the faith as uh, growing up, of any faith for that matter, not just Christian faith, but out of religion. And came to the Christian faith through a pretty intense series of events in, in college. And we met after college, she was still a senior at the time, but uh, was in an Anglo-Catholic church that was a very high church. I couldn't wait to get out of the form and tradition that I grew up in my Episcopal church, so I went and had 
it was a, a, a big Baptist church, and it was the first time I really heard the scriptures like taught really like at, at all slash well, and that was formative for me in my life. But uh, so I was pretty convinced as a Baptist, but then I fell in love with somebody who basically really wanted to go. I mean, the, the minister at the church she was in wanted to take the church into the Roman Catholic Church, and she was uh, convinced she wanted to be Catholic. That was really hard. Um, and that was one of the things, in sitting down and patiently talking with the, the priest at the church, I realized all the caricatures that I had thought and that's not just true from a Baptist going to a Catholic, but I think as we talk about sharing our faith, helping people in their faith journey, the most, one of the most important things is getting past the caricatures and knowing what actually is, that they believe in the, in the most charitable sense, what, what they would say they believe. And that's where a lot of the pressure, you know, what stood out to me in your story is that your uncle was, was patient and kind and non-threatening and didn't turn up the heat on right. you in in that time, but was, no, read it, tell me what you think, you know? And we talked a little bit about the place of, you know, arguments never win people into the kingdom of God. Now, they, talking about important differences and that sort of thing, or challenging people on points of belief, can sow some seeds, but it's usually almost always that relationship with people. Would you, I mean? Oh, I, I, I'm nodding profusely <laughs> in my heart. I just don't want to hit the mic. It, that, amen and amen. I. You know, there's this uh, life verse for me, Philippians 4, 8. You know, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, what, if anything is excellent or worthy of praise, think about these things. And there's, uh, right alongside that all these warnings throughout the scriptures to avoid quarreling yeah. you know look we're, we're all broken we don't have it all sorted right now god revealed clearly in christmas and easter what we need to know you know he he made it clear he loves us and that he conquered death for us he gave us the essentials they're clear but we're still really broken and we don't have it all sorted and you know what just avoid the quarrels Bear with one another in love. And just don't, don't divide. Stick together. Bear with one another. You know, and I love that emphasis. And mm -hmm. I just think, I think it's such an important place to get back to. Uh, I think the church, probably in the 400s, kind of took quarreling past its healthy place of discussion into something acidic or toxic. And it's like we really haven't stopped. It, like fallen humanity... Sure loves him some blood sport. Mm. And a lot of times these debates turn into like that kind of thing. And just, just to get back to that noble, pure, praiseworthy, excellent. And a paradox is that often in skipping that stuff to get straight to the quarrel, people miss the answers they're seeking. Because mm. the answers they're seeking are so often in the noble, the pure, the excellent, what's worthy of praise. And that focus and how different it is to have that be the focus. Yeah. And, you know, so, uh, I mean, of course, uh, discussions, that's great. You know, that helped me. Mm -hmm. and, and it helped me have a varied journey. One of my favorite things about having covered the gamut from atheistic doubts to Protestantism to Catholicism is I can re relate with a lot of people yeah. and where they're at, what their questions are. 
uh, it humbles me because I was there myself. Whoever I'm talking to, I, I would nothing's going to surprise me. I was there, and it also like I get to bring the best of into. Like I get to bring those experiences redeemed. Like like uh, coming going from Protestant to Catholic was not a process of subtraction. It was a process of addition. Mm. Everything good about the Baptists, the Catholics said too, yeah. along with more. Mm. But I, I didn't subtract anything. It was all addition. And then I get to I get to bring all those beautiful Baptist emphases mm. with me, and I get to bring those experiences from agnosticism with me redeemed. And so, uh, yeah, I like having a very journey. I like keeping it relational, and I like the focus to be on the praise word. Yeah. Well, thank you for for sharing that very journey with us. And I mean, that's that's really amazing to see your faithfulness in sharing your story throughout your 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 life so far, um, and sharing it with us tonight. Before this would be a good time as we transition into the Q and A time. Uh, I'm hoping we're doing well on questions, but take a minute, uh, look over some that are there, like the ones that you, you would like, and as you do that, let me give you one minute to basically say anything that we haven't said yet as to what would be some do's or don'ts when you try to share your faith. Obviously, building that relational connection, sharing your story, anything else you'd add or, or say, hey, maybe avoid this in, when you share your faith. I would say back to that image of, is it an argument, is it a performance, or is it an experience? Mm -hmm. Just to keep it at that last one, to keep it as a relational encounter. Like, I only know about the danger of the other two because that brokenness is in me. Yeah. Like that love of blood sport, I, I faced that in myself. Mm -hmm. Like that, that tendency to win an argument, but did, did beatitude ever show up? Like, well, I mean, I was like that for years. Just the way I responded to my Uncle Tim, I'm going to rip this to shreds. Mm. You know, I had young man's disease. Yeah. Like, that's how I know about it. Mm. But it helped me to keep it about the love. Yeah. Keep it about the love. And it's so easy to have it be about power. And anytime it starts to be about power, get it back to love. Yeah. You know, yeah. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Strength is another word for power. Mm. So to Jesus... Power is just another tool in love's service. Yeah. Whatever it is, don't be a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Love God, love each other. So just get back there as soon as you can. Yeah. That's a good word. Um, yeah, I, the only brief thing I would add to that probably is, and that's certainly like on, on our side of it, but I, I think too the, the Christian faith has the best, as C.S. Lewis who said, like I see everything by it, right? And yes. so knowing that everybody has some sort of ultimate beliefs about the world, why it is and it exists, and love doesn't just you do you kind of thing. Love cares about the other, takes the initiative, and is willing to ask questions and lean in into yes. other people's lives. And I think that's cer certainly complimentary of what, what you're saying too. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yes. So, well, let's hear uh, how we're doing on questions. Yes, we've got a good number so far. So um, our first one with the most votes is asking, how can we be sure that our faith is based on logical soundness and not purely based on emotional experience? Mm. Oh, yeah. It's good. What'd you say? Yeah. I, first of all, thanks for the question. It's excellent. Um, how can we be sure? It's like uh, Hebrews 
has an interesting definition of faith is being sure of what we hope for, mm -hmm. certain of what we do not see. And I've always been fascinated by that association of faith with certainty. You know, it's, it's, it's a guarantee, it's an assurance. Mm -hmm. You know, it's been revealed, you don't have to doubt it. Um, what makes it faith is that it's a certainty about something invisible. Mm -hmm. It's not a certainty about something visible. The thing is, you know, it's, but it's, it's a mysterious thing that we grow from faith to faith, the scripture also says. So it's not like you got it or you don't. Mm -hmm. We grow in that assurance, we grow in that certainty. And what I like about so much about this question is that you can have people across that process of their faith growing mm -hmm. within them. Because again, this is a relationship and love grows, relationships grow, right? So faith grows. But you can have people along that faith growing process lean into making it all about emotions and making that their basis for how they're doing with God, how they're doing spiritually. You can also err on the other side and have it be all about a head trip. And we're, we're complex. We're made in the image of three who are one. We're made in the image of complexity and we're complex. We have physical bodies. We also have minds and imaginations. We also have potent emotions mm -hmm. and we have relationships and it's all swimming together in this body-soul meld. You know, it, it is, we're mysteries to ourselves. And so we can err on the side of it being all emotional, but we also can swing to the other direction and have it be all intellectual. Yeah. And so my answer to that question is to keep both going on. You know, to keep your mind engaged with good research you know, with, with uh, asking questions, with reading history, read the church fathers, you know, learning, you know, education, formation, but also make sure, like uh, Ezekiel, I come to give you a heart of flesh. Mm. You know, it's so easy for our hearts to get stony or calloused. Make sure the emotions keep the compassion alive and the patience alive, patience with yourself al along the process, patience with doubts that you still will have and that remain. Uh, it just means you're growing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's okay to have doubts, just like I have them, just like Thomas had them. Jesus didn't abandon Thomas, he won't abandon you. So in short, feed your mind, but also feed your heart and don't let it go all emotive, but also in, in reaction against that danger, don't let it go all research, but just keep that full human complexity involved as your faith grows. Yeah, yeah that's really good. I, in conjunction with that, you know, that Christian faith says that God has revealed himself in the world. And that revelation, uh, we believe, in, is in the word of God in many ways. It's also in the world. And you've got John that says, test the spirits. You know, you went through that. And so testing the spirits by the word of God. Is this something that falls in accord with what God has revealed in his word. Uh, that's really important when it comes to our experiences that we have. Uh, but also, as you said, I love that. It's really important not just that it's only head knowledge. There's a way to go to the scriptures or theology and make it just so dry, maybe to win an argument or whatever. Yes. The goal of it all, as you said, is a relationship. The goal of teaching the dogma, the, the instruction, is praise. It's this uh, right living and 
in doxology. It's the, the praise of God, this worship of God. So, uh, and that is inevitably going to be experiential. So it's, it's both, it, it begins, I think, yes, with the mind as we are rational creatures, but it um, is a balance, as you said, of both the mind and the, the, the body and experience. So that's a great question. What, what next? Our next question is, what would you say to someone who doubts God and hasn't had a crazy experience? I appreciate that question uh, at a very personal level. Um, say number one, it is okay to have those doubts. <laughs> it's that's nothing. That's not something wrong with the person. That's something right with the person. You know, I, I, an ardent atheist atheist doesn't bother me because I, I like. It, it's lukewarm that I see God doesn't like. What bothers me is indifference. Mm -hmm. And when I see an active seeker who has honest doubts, I don't see indifference. I don't see lukewarm. God can work with hot. God can work with cold. You know, he, he can work with someone who knows where they currently stand and what they're looking for. And I believe those who seek him find him. And I know for me that was a process. And uh, for me, that process included a crazy experience. Um, I was also comforted by the crazy experiences of others, like Peter and mm -hmm. Paul, when I realized that what Nero did to them and that these were real guys, like, and that their testimonies are real and that, that their testimonies have survived. I mean, these are eyewitness accounts. We get the historian Luke, who's deemed one of the most accurate historians ever to have existed mm -hmm. in any culture, and he writes most of the New Testament. Mm -hmm. I mean, God has given us so much. So um, the, the crazy stories of others have helped me when it feels like I'm in a dark night and mm -hmm. I haven't seen God in a while. He's like the dad who like, has his kid at the playground and he hides behind a tree to s see what the kid does when he thinks dad's not watching. Like, he'll just disappear on you. You know, and you won't see, like in years, I, I haven't had a miracle in years. I haven't had a directly answered prayer. Like, where'd he go? Mm -hmm. Like C.S. Lewis says, he feels like he had a door slammed in his face at one point. And it's like, by God. Um, so nothing's wrong with having doubts. You can get comfort when you don't have your own experiences from the experience of, of, of others. But just let yourself off the hook. It's a good place to be. What I would warn against, what concerns me is indifference. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that's exactly kind of the question, but I, I want to make it part of the question, actually. It's because I've seen, I think we live in a world um, that is very disenchanted, right? That it's, you know, that's fine. I'm indifferent. You can do that. I have no problem with what you do, right? Um, are you familiar with Charles Taylor, probably, the uh, Catholic Canadian philosopher? Yes. And it says that our world needs to be re-enchanted because we are basically uh, living a day where everything kind of has a naturalistic reasoning. And so er, er, there is uh, no need necessarily to be uh, the secular world that he's talking about is that there's um, really no need to have God be an answer for it. And that's just fine with that. And I think what's helpful kind of in what Taylor talks about uh, and, and the reality that there's all of us, whether we're indifferent to God we're, we're passionate about something. You referred to the God-shaped hole in everybody's lives. And so uh, I think that's what's really important is everyone's seeking something. Even those who would say, no, I'm indifferent to it. They're actually seeking something with all that they are in some area of their life. I don't want to know what is it and why. Your doubts are like antibodies. Doubts are great. 
I want to talk about that thing that you must have that you're seeking for above all else, even if religion, so to speak, isn't even on the you know, radar there. I think it's Paul Tillich calls it ultimate concern. Yeah. And it kind of levels the playing field. Everybody has one. Mm-hmm. You know, it, every, faith is everyone's business. You, like, as an atheist, I couldn't prove there was no God. You can't prove a negative. Right. I took it on faith. Like, I couldn't go past the limits of time and space to determine there's definitely no higher power out there. I took it on faith. Mm-hmm. Like, faith is just part of, and everyone has some worldview or value system that they trust and, and hold to passionately and yet to identify that. What's my ultimate concern? What's my value system? Just the short answer to the, to the question very directly, it, you know, what if I don't, haven't had a crazy experience? My short answer is talk to God about that. Yeah. Like your prayer might sound like what mine did. You probably aren't there and I'm probably talking to myself right now. But I still brought it to him as honest as I could. So just talk to him about it because I believe he hears and responds to those who ask, seek, and knock. He'll he'll respond to it. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's why I brought up Taylor. I remember where I was going with that was the uh, most of human history believed that there was a God around, right? And I think that's uh, very common now for us today to to basically just dismiss that altogether. But mm-hmm. talk to God about it. That even in the ordinary, yeah, He's there. This world yeah. is rich with His presence. So. That's good. Is it hard to support your wife working in a denomination different than yours? Clearly, you've considered various denominations and chose Catholicism for a reason. Oh, I appreciate that question. Um, not at all, um, and I'm happy to say that. And and maybe if it was if it was a different church, I wouldn't be able to say that. But it's the people. Because of the people who are at St. Philip's Anglican Church, I mean, we, we feel like they're family. And we know that, all of us know that there's just one God. And we all know that he has just one church. And we know that we're all in the pool. You know, I, like, as a Catholic, I don't think that the Anglicans at St. Philip's aren't in the same pool I'm in. I think you're in the pool. As a Catholic, I would say, come the whole way in. Mm-hmm. And as an Anglican, you might say, oh, what, what you consider coming the whole way in, I have a different take on. But I would definitely see you as in the same pool I'm in. I'm in. I, I believe, like you believe, that there's just one church. And so there is an accord and agreement there that we can support the ministry at St. Philip's 100% wholeheartedly, and we love the ecumenical unity we love. I, I mean, in the world we're living in today, I think Catholics and Protestants have more in common at this point uh, than they do different. Yeah. And, um, and maybe one of those biggest commonalities at this point is many of us boast thousands of followers who aren't actually walking with Jesus. And as long as we have that in common, let's talk about that. Mm. You know, so that people can know they're loved and, and know they're forgiven and have that assurance. So uh, I'm, I'm happy to say there's no difficulties there. In fact, I, I love the emphasis. I love that reminder that uh, Anglicanism in particular gives me because I, I'm such a fan of the Inklings. Mm-hmm. Like Lewis is my favorite author, and I, 
I use uh, Alistair McGrath, I think he's Anglican, as the textbook in my, in my Catholic ethics course. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm a pretty ecumenical guy. But one of my favorite emphases that they give me is blessed assurance. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, as a Catholic, I've seen an unfortunate strain in a lot of, of Catholic culture that, that they, they don't have assurance. You know, and there's just, there's that strain in history of a works-based, I can't know if I'm going to heaven. And I think Catholicism properly understood is assurance. Mm. You know, it's a gift. And, and if you're taking up your cross daily and following Jesus, you don't have to worry. Mm. Um, and, I, and I feel like I get to bring that message. You know, I get to, there's so many messages I get to bring within to my own, like evangelizing my own. Like JP2 said, John Paul II said, we have to evangelize ourselves because we've lost sight of so many basics. And so this, that self-evangelization, if, if I can bring a ministry to my own and say, you can have blessed assurance, you don't have to worry about being good enough, that's a faulty framework. Because I just see, so, I've met many Catholics that struggle with that. And I'm so happy to say you can have assurance. Yeah. So I just, I, I'm so excited about what I get to receive from my relationship with Protestant Christians, that it's just, it's just a blessing. Well, we're deeply grateful that you consider that uh, the case at St. Philip. So, oh, thanks for having me here. Oh, yeah. just, you know. Absolutely. A uh, couple more? Yes. The next question is, as a Catholic yourself, can you give your perspective on confession versus how the Baptist Church sees it? That's an excellent question. Um, the Baptist take on confession is, that, that, that I experienced anyway, this may not speak for all Baptists. Um, you know, there's like the, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention and there's the Northern Baptist Convention. My organization was the Baptist General Convention of Texas. And the BGCT, even though it was a, it was a state organization, because there's so many Catholics in the state of Texas, they were actually as big as the national conferences and considered themselves the best of the three options. <laughs> so I was a BGCT Catholic, and, or a uh, Baptist, sorry. And as a Texan Baptist, the emphasis I always saw was you don't need a mediator, you take your sins straight to God. Yeah. You know, and that was their emphasis. and, and they seemed really concerned that something idolatrous was happening if you involve anyone else. Um, the change I saw as a Catholic was the book of James came alive to me in a new way. Confess your faults one to another is something else the Bible says. And the sacramental churches did it. The Catholics did it, the Anglicans did it. You know, there were Protestants who did it too. And that helped bridge the gap for me that like a lot of Protestants also have confession. Yeah. And it's based entirely on the Bible, which says confess your faults one to another. And I tell you what, the first time I had to tell a real live person with skin on it right in front of me, my sins, it was a different experience. And just going straight to God where I don't, it's, it's not as visceral. It just doesn't make it as real. Of course, going straight to God is valid. Mm -hmm. And of course, do it. And of course, he hears it and he'll forgive you. And the Catholic Church says that. 
you know, in fact, the first thing they do at every Mass is say, we're screwed up and need Jesus. Uh, but there is something to also having to tell another human being, a real skin and bones person, I did this horrible thing. And together say, God, get your ocular fill of this ugliness within me. Check it out. I mean, that's, that's humbling and it's refreshing and it's healthy. Yeah, yeah. I remember the first time, I, like, amen to that because... It goes to the, uh, not the subtraction, but the addition of going into the further yes. Catholic faith. Because yes. you, it's, it sounds like, yeah, you know, nobody's denying the uh, importance of confessing your sins to God. But just as uh, the reason that we do that is because the assurance of forgiveness that can be extended in the flesh, just as easily as receiving, uh, you know, sharing your sins with another in the flesh and how scary that is so too equal and opposite is the assurance of faith coming from somebody in the flesh can be when you hear somebody remind you of the good news of god's love yes amen yeah one last one and then we gotta call it what is the main difference between baptists and catholics are both denominations going to heaven you kind of touched on a little bit of that, but I would, yeah. Yeah, um, just a uh, thank you for the question. I sure appreciate it. Um, that's how I would have asked that question as a Baptist. Something I discovered in crossing the Tiber, as it's been put, you know, and entering the Roman Catholic Church, is that the Catholic Church isn't a denomination. That's, that's not how it self-identifies. That's not how she understands herself. It's not a denomination. And so just, just to be cognizant of that, that, um, you know, a self-understanding, you know, how does, a, how does this group understand themselves? Even if you disagree with it, just to be aware that they wouldn't say they're, like, I wouldn't say I'm in the Catholic denomination. Um, Catholic literally translates from universal. And so it's, it's an identification with the universal body of Christ of which there's only one spiritually speaking body of Christ that's that's how we understand ourselves so just just an awareness but um, are both going to heaven I, absolutely be I, in fact when when I became Catholic out of Baptist one of the first things the bishop said to me was do not get rebaptized your baptism is entirely valid the grace was there. They had a universal, they had a technically Catholic baptism at your Protestant church because, because they're in the same pool. It's the same God, it's the same grace. Do not rebaptize. You have a valid Catholic baptism already. Then my bishop, it was Bishop Gregory Amond who's moved on to uh, uh, bigger and better things at this point, but he was the bishop in the Texas area where I was at the time. He added to that, keep preaching as a Baptist. You are licensed and ordained as a Baptist minister. All their dogmatic essentials we agree with. Again, it's addition, not subtraction. So keep preaching. And I took him up on that. In fact, I, I, I was an interim pastor for a local Protestant church uh, regularly as, as a Catholic. He said, just be honest and upfront. Don't ever go in subversively. Tell them, I'm a Catholic, and they're going to be hearing Catholic teaching. 
but we're not revoking your license and we're not revoking your ordination and we can't because we can't revoke an anointing that doesn't come from us. So just that, that addition, like it really made it real to me. I didn't have to rebaptize. And they asked me to keep preaching at any Protestant church that would take me, and they didn't revoke my license nor my ordination. And so I get to do a lot of ecumenical stuff under that. I didn't like switch teams. Yeah, I, I think that's, this is a question that we could spend a whole semester trying to answer in some ways. And, um, you know, there's some things like, okay, how's the church governed? Just to talk about some of what are the differences. So bishops, priests, and deacons, or how the Catholic church uh, pr primarily, right? And there's more, I guess, but um, bishops, priests, and deacons, the threefold office there. You also have, in Baptist, uh, my understanding is that you have a, plurality of leaders, but you don't necessarily, it depends on which convention, I guess. Oddly, they often had an equivalent, yeah. like like they didn't have a bishop, but they had the Baptist General con, uh, right. Director of Missions. Somebody was. Who the, functioned yeah. as a bishop, exactly. as an overseer, which is what bishop yeah. means. So you see some of these similar differences and similarities, I guess, there, but over small things that... Right. Uh, there's also obviously Baptists believe that you have to have a profession of faith to be baptized. The Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, would say we would absolutely baptize anybody who's just come to faith who's never been baptized. Amen. It's again addition, not subtraction. Uh, we would also baptize uh, children of believers too. Um, right, and and I think that entire misunderstanding comes from conflating baptism and confirmation. For Baptists, those are the same thing. That's right. You know, and as soon as you treat them separately, it's, it's just not scandalous anymore. Like, any Baptist who would say, like, you can't just ride it on your parents' coattails. You need to make this decision at the age of adult consent for yourself. A Catholic would say, absolutely, we agree with that. Yeah. That's called confirmation. Yeah. And they have baby dedication in many Baptist churches yeah. that function similar to exactly. Catholic and infant baptism. So. Those are some of the, we're happy to talk more about yeah. some, of, some of those things. Like you said, it's its own episode. Yeah, <laughs> and as you said earlier, though, it's, we have far more in common between, I would say, a Baptist and a Catholic than uh, those outside of the Christian faith altogether, uh, in, especially in this day and age. And so I, I'm personally grateful that you were willing to come and join us. I hope that we, you'll do it again. I'm grateful soon. to you, St. Phillips. I'm grateful to all of you here. You know, wherever you're coming from, it can be hard to hear someone's story and maybe have your own ideas at points challenges. Thank you for that humility and for that listening. Whoever you are, you are irreplaceably precious to God. He has a plan on your life. Eyes haven't seen, ears heard. No heart can even conceive. You are awaited. You are loved. And I hope you know that. Mm -hmm. Amen.